Kia ora, welcome back to Flying the Fern, powered by New Zealand Stories, Fernmark License Programme and produced by Raw Collective. This series is all about telling the real-life stories of well-known New Zealand businesses that carry the official Fernmark logo. We dig into how they came about, the challenges they've overcome and their contribution to the reputation New Zealand businesses have around the world. Convita is an incredible success story, having become a global powerhouse of natural health and beauty products over the last 50 years. But it certainly didn't start that way. It started over a casual chat between a lifelong beekeeper and a self-described hippie, and continues today as a multinational operation with revenue that runs into the hundreds of millions of dollars. At its core is the same simple philosophy it's had from the start, a commitment to using natural ingredients like manuka honey as health remedies. We're lucky enough to have three generations of company leaders to talk through Convita's story. Founder Alan Balgen, former CEO and current board chair Brett Hewlett, and current CEO David Banfield. The company's kiwiness is another consistent theme, having withstood its phenomenal growth and a record-beating couple of years to remain a backbone that stands up to the rigours of international business. Well, kia ora, good morning, welcome. Uh, first of all, where have you come from today? Auckland. Oh, okay, okay. Alan and I uh, flew up last night. We had a um, lovely dinner at the local restaurant, so we came up nice. from Tauranga. Very nice. Yeah. And I was already here, so oh, um, yeah, so that worked. Now, if you were visiting New Zealand for the first time, or if you, you were telling someone, David, to, that, who was visiting New Zealand for the first time, where would you say they have to go? What's the must-do thing in New Zealand? Oh, look, my, my personal little sanctuary is Wahiki, actually. It's just, uh, I think you arrive in a city, you, you take a 30-minute ferry ride, and you end up in this incredibly beautiful sort of tranquil place, which has got some incredible vineyards as well, but just some amazing vista. So, yeah, we're lucky to have it totally on our doorstep. Uh, Alan, you have been around Convita since the very beginning. Tell us, how did the company get started? It got started because of a chance meeting between myself and a uh, 65-year-old gentleman who was um, old enough to be my grandfather. Uh, and I was 25 at the time looking for um, an opportunity. And we got together and uh, just purely by, well, uh, me pursuing a, a uh, some sort of relationship. And uh, that was where Convita actually started. Yeah. Tell us about the name Convita. I've always loved that name. Well, it, it actually, originally it was a combination of comfrey and vitamins, which seems very odd, I, I know. <laughs> but uh, Claude Stratford, my partner, late partner, um, business partner, was uh, he was a man that was very keen on herbs and uh, he did a lot with comfrey in the early days. He was actually a a comfrey grower and uh, commercially he had a great belief in that as a, as a herb that had wonderful properties and it does. I've been nodding along as if I knew what comfrey is but now I have to admit I've got no idea. What, well, tell the modern well, listener what is comfrey. Well comfrey is a it's a herb you'll know it if I describe it probably. It's a very broad-leafed herb it grows very very fast from small pieces of root and the leaves are bright green and very hairy on top and it's very very good as a compost activator but um, in the Herbal um, almanacs. It was used. It was. It had a name called a knit bone. Right. So it's very. Oh, knit bone. It yeah, is very. Oh, it's a very very high <laughs> levels of calcium and 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 uh, what have you. And so people used to take it for uh, for helping with their bones and their broken bones and so on and so forth. Oh, so and it's it's proven, you know, from way back. So it sounds like honey was a complete diversion from this 
No, not conflict. really. No. no, no, it wasn't because um, I had I had some interest. Uh, I was keeping bees on Great Barrier Island uh, at the time, and uh, I I pursued Claude Stratford because um, I knew that he was a beekeeper of some repute. Although um, his reputation within the industry was uh, fairly patchy, because he was a very innovative character who did things very differently. He wasn't by the book, and so um, I liked that about him. He was kind of a health food guy, and so was I. So, but honey was a very, very important. Producing honey and bee products was incredibly important to, in, in our the relationship that we built. It was a key piece of it. Fantastic. And and despite the 65 years to 25 years, it's quite an age gap in terms of business partnerships. You obviously got on pretty well. You saw eye to eye on Well, it's things. a strange thing. I'd, I'd wandered around the world for a few years and I'd been caught up in the, the whole hippie movement and the, the, the start of the health food and, and the wellness and natural products movement in Southern California. And uh, so I came back to New Zealand with a view that um, – if I was involved in a business um, that that could actually commercialise some of the beautiful natural products that we have in New Zealand or materials in New Zealand, then there was an opportunity for a, for a business that could be an export business. You're sounding like a capitalist hippie, I have to say. Well, <laughs> I, I, I had to make a living somehow, David. <laughs> Good on you. Oh, that's wonderful. And it, certainly the photos I've seen of you in the early days, you had a bit of a long hair thing going on. Did all that. A bit of tie-dye. All of the above. And then, of course, you found yourself in the Bay of Plenty in the sunshine. Well, I chased Claude Stratford up. He was in the far north, and uh, I chased him up because, um, long story short, a friend of ours on Great Barrier used some manuka honey that came in a little bright orange pot with this funny little brand on it. Uh, it was a garish-looking um, packaging, you could most garish packaging you could think of. And uh, she had got that product, and she had used it to uh, apply on a wound on a horse's leg that, that had been a bad severing of of the uh, lower leg and she'd used that manuka honey on that wound and healed the horse's leg which completely fascinated me because I thought here's a whole dimension of the use of honey that I was not aware of. And that, and that, for many listeners, is going to be an interesting part, isn't it? Because honey is associated in New Zealand with your breakfast toast. And, Brett, I'm going to bring you in here. Uh, every morning you have it, I'm sure, lathers, lathes of honey on toast. And yet suddenly we're talking about it now as a health food product, not just a health food product, but a health product, as Alan just said, putting it on wounds and things like that. Tell us about how that sorts of comes about. Yeah, um, it's interesting just reflecting a little bit. I'll get to that point, but... Um, the perspective that Alan shared around, you know, seeing um, New Zealand from a distance and understanding the potential that we had around what's beautiful from this country and all the things that we that originate from here. And when you're overseas, you know, you sort of become a little underwhelmed by what New Zealand does. You know, I was an expat. I was 15 years globetrotting, um, came back to New Zealand with an ambition to sort of get involved in some sort of entrepreneurial venture. But it really... I grew up in the primary industry. I grew up on a dairy farm and I, I worked in the dairy industry. And, um, yeah, I was just sort of underwhelmed by what New Zealand was doing as a branded, you know, selling its brands. So when I got introduced to Convita, I saw this plucky little company doing these amazing things, selling its branded honey products and bee products all around the world. Yeah. And I thought, here's a company that's actually got it, got it sorted. Yeah. And then I started to learn about the story of wound healing. And I heard that, and I sort of, you know, this, this, um, on with, this is a whole nother dimension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Food is, uh, food is my medicine, you know, right? Yeah. So, um, that sort of really resonated with me. So I got pretty excited by the business then. 
So when I first joined Convita, I went quite a, a bit of a deep dive around this wound healing thing, trying to understand it. We had just acquired a company that had some IP around the application of, of, of honey. Manuka honey is a, is a wound treatment. And I thought, well, how could we monetize that? How could we commercialize that and sort of take it to the world? So, um, so that sort of started us on a whole journey, really, around our establishing relationships with international wound care companies, um, acquiring further IP in this area that some of our Aussie mates were exploring. Yeah. Uh, we went and acquired that and integrated that into our, our um, intellectual property pool and, uh, and then managed to get an FDA-approved um, Class two medical device um, approved and off Which the market. Just, and again, I don't think many New Zealanders would realise that that's the application of this natural product that we see and we've become very accustomed to it. But Manuka has some very special properties, doesn't it? There's some, it's not just honey, there's something in there that, that is quite special. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, Alan could probably share the yeah. wonderful story around the first time that really hit major media around the world. So It was 1991 and um, on a Sunday evening, our dear friend Judy Bailey came on Six O'Clock News and uh, the leading article was a breakthrough um, where a gentleman in the far north had, uh, in the Wangarei Hospital, had a very bad diabetic ulcer. They couldn't get it healed. Uh, he had suggested in absolute desperation that why don't you try honey because he'd heard something about honey on wounds. And uh, they, they applied honey, honey from the far north, which coincidentally was from a company that Claude Stratford had actually sold before he moved to the Bay of Plenty. It was honey from that company, which was just another piece of the puzzle. But um, they used this honey and uh, Reg Day was his name and, uh, and the wound healed and he, was, uh, he didn't have to have his lower leg amputated. So that went that went uh, out as a as a news piece, and from that time on, uh, Manuka started uh, on this trajectory where it had a life of its own. Prior to that, we'd been we had been selling uh, outside of New Zealand. We'd been selling single source honeys, and Manuka was one of our key products. And we'd been calling out the antibacterial properties of Manuka. So we were into functional food because that's what we were about. Yeah. We were never a, a honey company per se. You know, we, we weren't the, the two and sixpenny, you know, uh, pot of clover honey on the table for your toast. We were always calling out the therapeutic. So for us, that was the perfect entree. And we would, we'd actually been part of that build-up as well in that we were looking for uh, to commercialise some science out of Waikato University. That's actually where the science began, yeah. a guy called Peter Molan of Waikato University. So Convita was right there. We helped put together the UMF brand with Peter Molan and Peter worked sort of beside us um, to take it to the world, actually. Fabulous. And it did, do you think that you coincided, the movement around honey as a medicinal product or a functional food product coincided with people's understanding of wellness and, and uh, natural products and this curiosity that people now have for you know, putting good things in their body, food is, a, is our medicine, as Brett said. Do you think that was the part of the growth? Well, it was kind of a crazy concept to a lot of people, but um, I had I had come uh, back from the US. I'd come across honey, uh, but it was they called it raw honey. So in the health food scene, which was only a small burgeoning industry in the US, the health food stores, but the, the only honey that was sold was raw honey i.e. honey that hadn't been tampered with, that was pretty much as it out of the comb. And so that was what that was my sort of, you know, approach in the world of honey. And so of course the raw honey contains a whole lot of other, you know, great nutrients, minerals and trace elements that that processed, highly processed honey, which we had been 
we'd grown up with, overheated, you know, everything filtered out of it, Uh, whereas we're talking about a completely different product. And that had actually been used topically when you go back and look at the anecdotal um, evidence with, say, China. They'd used it topically uh, probably more than what they'd used it for ingestion. Yeah, and that's interesting. It's funny that we are, in the modern world, we are reliving the lessons that our ancestors probably knew very well. So, Brett, t- tell us a little bit about growing the business. You know, you I think you came on 2005, so they already had a pretty solid business going, but, you know, it's now a multinational. I'm, I'm holding here a pretty flash annual report that's got global, you know, expectations in there. There's, It's a big business. You know, tell us about some of that journey. Yeah, well, um, when I joined the business, um, as I said before, I, I was really impressed by what the company was doing and how it was taking branded, you know, pack branded products to the to the world's markets. But my first observation was that it was acting through distributors, so it was pretty much, or predominantly so anyway, filling containers, shipping them off, and then relying on a, someone else to represent your brand yeah. in market. I became rather obsessed about this concept of value add and value capture. You know, clearly the value had been created through the stories of Manuka Honey and what had been done and all the, the good work that Claude and Alan had done in the in the lead up to this. Um, so this became sort of a bit of a pivot point around sort of going global. So um, and my first lens was saying, well, how could we add more value through the IP and through the, you know, that medical application deployment and other formats such as skincare and other yeah. products like this so that we can sort of get a pot of honey and sort of add the value and, and, it, and blow it out in different ways. So we went through quite a process of sort of new product development and innovation to try and see how could we get representation of Manuka honey in different formats and get it available to the world. But then also value capture because frustrated the hell out of me that, you know, retailers were taking 40, 50% margin sometimes 25% probably went to a local distributor. And then the poor old brand owner and the manufacturer back here was sort of eking out maybe a 35% margin. And then way at the end is the grower or the farmer. Yeah, and yeah. the farmer yeah. is also, of course, as as we were supply constrained and as demand was starting to pick up, we are also seeing the farmer or the, the beekeepers um, making a lot of money as well. So we were being squeezed in the middle. So there was sort of an attempt to say, well, look, Let's acquire our distributors. Let's own that and do it ourselves and put our own people on the ground. We've got greater contact and connection with consumers in market. And then also, um, you know, why don't we do some of our own retailing? Why don't we take some of that margin ourselves? So that sort of started a journey around e-commerce and and various other forms of retailing, especially in Asia. Um, So a lot of our initial early days growth was not through volume or more production because we had limited supply of it. Uh, was really around value capture, around move, moving up the value chain. Yeah, and that's a beautiful story. It goes into the kind of whole New Zealand story here about how you add value without volume. And you you, you had no choice in some ways. You were supply constrained, as you mentioned. There wasn't a lot of Correct. growers and, and honey was difficult to come by and there was competition in the market. So you had to find another way to grow the business. And so the beautiful brand that you've created, the, you know, the, the customer-facing imagery, the shop fronts, et cetera, all part of creating value without necessarily having to create more product. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say, you know, self-admission that um, through that period, we struggled with the ability to execute on the ground. You know, I think what a lot of New Zealand companies struggle with is we don't really know what good looks like. You know, we're, we're rather naive and we go out there rather boldly and take on the world. But sometimes we just don't know quite what we're getting into. And it's okay to get to a level, you know, you can chip away a percentage of the market. But if you want to go to the next level and go bigger yeah. and yeah. go truly global, 
you need people that actually know what they're really doing and know what good looks like and have done it before, you know, take you on the journey. That's fantastic. And I think that's the new phase that we're coming into now with Convita under the new leadership, the new way of doing it. And we're about to talk about the new leadership, but I think Alan wants to chip in on something here. In terms of the um, our own supply chain, we were we were beekeepers and we built up a large apiary back in the um, in the late seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, but in the early nineties, I actually sold the whole apiary, uh, as in you know all the hives, to one of our guys because we needed cash to grow the manufacturing business. So we, we didn't own hives right through the nineties, and it yeah. wasn't until Brett came on board that we actually said, "Hey, we've got to fix some of the su- supply chain stuff." So we we need to go back and start owning our own hives yeah. and building up our again, which we did uh, very aggressively to where we, we built up to a 30,000 apiary, which was very large for New Zealand. That 30,000 bees? 30,000 30, hives. I was going to say, 30,000 bees sounds like a lot to me <laughs> as a complete amateur in this field. These days we run about uh, 20,000 hives thereabouts yeah. um, and across the country. So just put 20, that in 20,000 hives. How many bees is that? Just, just to give uh, well, a One and a half billion. One and a half billion bees. And how <laughs> How much do you actually pay them, David? That's what we want to know. They work I think you're exporting your workers. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, it's, someone said actually to the point about you know buying back your, your distribution channel and then going back up the supply chain and, and buying your, your back your apiaries, etc. You're a heavily vertigrated, vertically integrated business, you know, right from shopfront to manufacturing, packaging, distribution, supply. You've got the whole stack there, haven't you? And I'm going to go to David now because he's now inheriting this quite complex company, I'd imagine. I had the uh, the opportunity to join, and uh, what I, what I saw was an incredible organisation. But but sort of along the way, we come into a few problems because we'd gone broad and lost some of the focus that had actually been that some of the defining principles or uh, success behind the business. So you know, I was uh, I was given an incredible opportunity to lead this amazing uh, business, but actually just bring focus back to who we are, where we play, how we win. And that's been um, a a wonderful last two and a half years to be able to do that. Yeah, I was just looking at at the timeline here and going, hang on, you you started as the CEO in February 2020. Yeah. Yeah, not much happened in February 2020. (laughs) For me, it was a pretty calm place in the world. I mean, how Uh, did you deal with global disruption? Well, what was fascinating personally was, uh, so I started on the 20th of January, on the 21st, you know, trying to show that our, we win in market, I flew to China. So, and that was the day that Wuhan closed. So, so I was in China with the China team. It was two days before Chinese New Year. And then I saw this look of panic on the team's face when some people from Wuhan weren't able to go back to their family for Chinese New Year. So, you know, it was fairly interesting. A sort of a 90-day plan became a 30-day plan. Um, Alan and I were actually in, uh, we went to the US as well. And literally, as we flew over, the the conference that we were going to uh, was cancelled because of COVID. And we were suddenly looking at flights and saying, actually, we need to get back. And actually, just uh, the end of July, 861 days had gone between when Alan and I left the US and were able to get back for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And in that period, you had to run a big, complex new business, keep staff, you know, feeling safe and secure and and keep the supply up, I suppose, as well. 
Well, and we had to lead a transformation of the business, really. You know, we'd lost our way um, in terms of performance. Uh, we were loss making. And one of the things at that time was really trying to say, this is who we are. This is this is the essence of Convita. Um, and my role now is to set us up for the next 50 years to then to build out an organization that can really bring that benefit to people around the world. Yeah. Now, you were telling me earlier, you moved to New Zealand in 2014 from the UK. Tell us about that experience of moving to the other side of the world. Yeah. Look, it's, it was, uh, it's been a brilliant experience. We've got uh, the whole family moved in January 2014, uh, at that time to, for personally to, to lead a company called Methven. You know, on my way into New Zealand, I'd read the New Zealand story, uh, read the principle of open hearts, open minds, open spaces. And um, fortunately, we'd been here in 2011 as a family as well. And what I experienced was a fairly unique environment. You know, I'd been, I'd been in Germany for many years before um, where there's a certain way of working um, and certain sort of ways of thinking and acting. And, and what I found when I came to New Zealand was that people were really receptive to new thinking, new ways of, uh, of acting. And, um, and I found that to be really powerful when we stepped outside of New Zealand to say, look, we are at that time, Methven, we are a world leader. This is yeah. what we do. And, and over time, you know, I've just seen New Zealand's confidence grow to actually meet people face on and say, this is what we do. We're world class. And this is why you should use our products. So, and now you're in a, a very iconic New Zealand company, I have to say. I mean, it's... We've got Alan in the room, I'm very conscious. But, you know, this is a, com- a company that most New Zealanders are very proud of, I think, the ones that know about the history and the impact that this industry is now having, and you get to lead it. Tell us about how the kind of the values of that history, that 50-year or so history, and how does that weigh upon you? Look, it's pretty humbling. I, I You know, I, I think when you read the story and then you meet Alan, you meet Brett, and and you see the the belief, the essence that it's not sort of marketing stuff. You know, there's there's real substance to what was behind those founding principles. So on one level, you know, it's a it's a big responsibility, but it's one that because ultimately when we make uh, deliver the true potential of Convita and, and actually share that amazing story and the actual benefit that we bring to consumers who use our product. It's one that, I mean, I think will be, personally, will be a, a highlight of my career. And I think ultimately with our model, which means the more successful we are, the more we plant trees, the more we actually rewild parts of Aotearoa, you know, I think it really has an opportunity to reframe um, what great business looks like and actually reconnect to that story. Yeah. Now, Alan, it's interesting as the founder to still be around, I suppose, many, many years after and think about the values of the organisation that you started with and what <clears throat> the values of those the organisation is now. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey towards the you know who you are and what you stand for? Well, when Claude Stratford and I met, we we definitely um, agreed together that we wanted to be involved in a business that would be able to reach out and help people in their in their lifestyle, in their state of health. We wanted to be a kind of a well being brand. Uh, which was, of course, at the time, that was kind of pretty new thinking 
for New Zealanders, but we also wanted to leave our mark environmentally. And we, we had the good fortune really to be involved in keeping bees and producing honey, which by definition is a fairly, in many ways, a kind of a low, low carbon footprint activity and uh, a very, you know, it can be incredibly environmentally um, sustainable. And that was where we started. It's been difficult to walk out in reality. Um, you know, the idealism uh, often has been compromised by the realities of yeah. the market and particularly being a listed company, you know, some of the challenges that come with that. But look, I have to say, you know, jump forward to today, these guys and the, and the teams at Convita are, are actually uh, materialising day by day that vision and more that we had. Uh, and it is, for me, it's, it's, it just, it resonates so closely. I keep thinking, wow, wouldn't Claude Stratford be incredibly proud yeah. now? He died in 2013 because, you know, 50 years later, we're having a real impact on our, the lives of our customers and also on our environment. When I mean, we've planted over 10 million monica trees over the last seven or eight years. We acquired land. We've got large land holdings where we're, so we're literally pharmaceutical, well, we're farming, we're farming, if you like, high-value crops that, you know, we can take products to the world that are incredible. Fantastic. In the New Zealand story, we talk about the idea that New Zealand is a place where um, care for people and connection to the place that we come from is, is the thing that drives us, the thing that drives the innovation in the country, and you guys are absolutely living it. Brett, you, you led the company for a long time. As you went international, how did you talk about the fact that you are a New Zealand company? What was the sort of the image that you put across? You know, the New Zealand story sort of laid that out in the open hearts, open minds, open spaces. And I, I celebrated that also. You know, David mentioned that. I, I resonated with that when we were first involved, you know, in developing some of that thinking. Um, so that really resonated. It sort of warmed my heart. And, and having from an expat background, as I, I, as I did, I sort of went out there and s- celebrated it. As you travel around the world as a Kiwi, you know, you you know, people are curious. You know, they, they as soon as they they hear your accent or they know where you come from, they're immediately alerted to think, oh, this is someone that's interesting. So it's easy to engage with people when you've got that opening, right? The doors are immediately open to you, no matter where you are in the world. I think then it does move into you know professionalism and, and all those some of those other things. So sometimes that naivety and that um, that openness gets you so far, but really knowing what to do next is when you have to be sort of take it to another level. And I think that's one of the greatest challenges we have as New Zealand enterprise to sort of to really truly become global is to actually embrace other cultures and, and, and become sort of a more integrated global enterprise rather than solely New Zealand-based and yeah. operating from here. A global company in, from New Zealand rather than a New Zealand company, you know, trying Correct. to be a global company by ourselves sort of thing, yeah. Correct. Now, one of the things you do um, very nicely is fly the New Zealand fern, the fern mark, which is, you know, part of the, the programs that we run. And, David, you know, hopefully you, you see that, you see that of value to you, that's something that you proudly display. Oh, look, definitely. I mean... Obviously, it's integral to our founding story. So it's uh, actually for that to be you know, a mark that actually can show people that we are uh, an organisation that operates in a certain way in Aotearoa, then you know, that's, uh, that's central to part of that story. Yeah, well, fantastic. And as you um, look towards the future, I'm looking to you, David, because you, you, 
you're carrying a heavy, heavy burden. You've got the founder on your shoulder. You've got the the previous CEO who led the company through a really incredible growth period. And you're looking ahead 50 years. Where would you like to see the the business going? Oh, look, I, I think overall we've just got an incredible opportunity. That, you know, if, if I if I don't look 50 years, I just look to 2030. The global honey market's currently nine billion dollars. It's going to be 15 forecast to be 15 billion dollars by US dollars by 2030. Current Manuka household penetrations one and a half percent. It should be three percent, which is what we've got elsewhere. So I see a world of commercial opportunity, but. I also see the broader benefit of our long-term thinking benefiting communities, shareholders, all stakeholders in New Zealand. And ultimately, my desire would be for uh, all people in in New Zealand really to be incredibly proud of the organisation we've become, particularly as we we solve some some pretty serious problems issues around the world and and support some charities that that actually help us do that. Yeah. I think you are a com- company that New Zealanders look up to and admire. The founding story is a great one. The the the, the story of impact, you know, the fact that you've planted trees in such an, a vast way that you've created value in a new way that you've almost pioneered a whole new market segment in terms of products. I think it's a wonderful legacy. Yeah, totally, totally. And Alan, as you uh, look back on your years, tell us about how you feel about that journey and what, what's your view of the future? I just thought of a funny little story that you, you, you can keep this or not. But talking about the fern, I used to do the a lot of trade shows around the world in the day and, uh, you know, I'd carry a lot of the collateral with me on and off planes and dragging it around in suitcases and up and down to Tokyo and around about. I used to always do the natural product show in the US and... Um, Convita had a stand there. Uh, this is going back to the first one I probably did in the late 80s. Um, but it got to the point where we were the only New Zealand um, entity there back then and during the 90s. But um, I did these back- backdrops and one of our our byline at that stage was Convita, the nature of New Zealand. And that was a wrap around not only environment but people, you know, the nature of New Zealand being this is how we do things. And in the end, the uh, New Zealand Tourism Board, you know, approached me a couple of times. We had some chats and they said, would you mind if uh, we, we got some collateral up there through through the trade office and, uh, you know, you, you could put it on your stand and, you know, sell the New Zealand storage for us. <laughs> so I felt like Convita was an early ambassador for actually flying that New Zealand flag in that market, which, of course, it's actually an international show as well. Yeah. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need the question. That is a beautiful story. Gentlemen, thank you very much for flying the fern and being part of this today. Pleasure. Kia ora. Yeah, kia ora. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast series is all about highlighting the amazing work New Zealand companies are doing in a variety of sectors and spaces. If you like this episode, there's plenty more great stories from Flying the Fern podcast that you can listen to. Just go ahead and check them out where you found this one. We're also highlighting the Fernmark license program, which we talked about during the episode. The Fernmark is our national symbol and a country of origin mark that helps Kiwi businesses promote trust, authenticity and credibility by leveraging the good reputation that New Zealand has overseas. To find out more or to apply to be part of the program, head to our website, fernmark.nzstory.gov.nz. And lastly, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps others find us. Haere for now. <laughs>